0: Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage.
2: This has been such a great evening, Greg. I really had no idea that Five Guys had a wine
1: list. Well, I know the sommelier at that one. He put aside the apple pinot grigio for me. Hey, this is my apartment. Would you like to come in for a cup of tea?
2: Sure, why not?
1: First, I have to ask Mr. Scroopy if it's okay. Mr. who? Mr. Scroopy. He's my stuffed animal. He's a bashful bunny with floppy ears. I've had him since I was seven.
2: And you have to ask him if I can come in?
1: Well, it's his space, too. Wait here. It's that girl I was talking about. She's very nice. I think you'd like her. Sure, I can hold you up to the peephole so you can look out at her. See? Uh, He says he's not feeling all that great. He says maybe you could come back on Sunday afternoon.
2: Greg, he didn't say anything. I mean, we're not going to organize our behavior around the wishes of some old toy, are we?
1: You don't understand.
2: Okay, bring this thing out where I can see it.
1: Well, I can try. Here he is.
2: Oh, God, Greg, he stinks to high heaven.
1: Is that true, Mr. Scroopy? Is it time for one of those wool baths like the one you had in 1997? You hated that one, didn't you, Mr. Scroopy?
2: Greg, this is a, its a wagon load of crazy.
1: Wait, he wants to say something to you.
2: Yeah? I hadn't thought of it that way. Sure, yeah. I I love old westerns. Okay, I'll come over on Sunday and watch My Darling Clementine with you guys.
1: See how reasonable Mr. Scroopy is?
2: (laughs) Totally. You know, for a second I thought you'd really gone off your rocker. Today on the show are mysterious ties to stuffed animals. And now his old Cabbage Patch Kid was last seen hustling for change outside a San Francisco bus terminal. Colin McEnroe.
3: You know, I tried. I tried with that Cabbage Patch Kid, but the, he was a bad seed. Uh, I just uh, I couldn't control him. He, 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 that's the way it was. Uh, actually, actually, no, Cabbage Patch Kids have this huge Connecticut history. They actually were first made by Coleco, uh, which is a uh, company located in Bloomfield. I think they were eventually kind of licensed out or sold out. Um, after Coleco went into Chapter 11, uh, were made by some of the bigger companies. Anyway, they're just, you know, Cabbage Patch Kids, one part of a big, huge picture. Uh, we're going to be talking about stuffy animals today, about our strange relationships to stuffed animals. You just heard one such strange relationship. Um, in just a second, you're going to meet Mark Nixon, who has uh, chronicled in a really amazing way uh, the, the qualities of these stuffed animals uh, once they've been, uh, owned for a long time and 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 are much loved to steal the title of his book before I even introduce you to Mark who's going to join us from Ireland from uh, Dublin actually uh, let's hear we, we actually set up a phone line so that people can call up and tell us about their stuffed animals or other stuffed toys let's hear a story about a cabbage patch kid
0: I was very, very young at the height of the Cabbage Patch craze, and my parents couldn't find me one. So when I was in Texas visiting family, my aunt took me to the store, and she managed to find one long Cabbage Patch who had been returned. So she quickly bought him for me. And his name is Spencer Willie. I still have him. I'm 32. He sleeps in the guest room. So we get in the car on the way home from the store, and she takes him out of the box for me. And I immediately
3: threw up on him. <laughs> right. The uh, Well, these actually, there were a lot of rumors about Cabbage Patch Kids, too. I think they came with a birth certificate when you adopted them. Uh, they came with a birth certificate. And there were rumors that if you sent them back to the factory uh, because they were damaged, they would be issued a death certificate. That was sort of an urban legend. And the other urban legend was that they were... Um, a part of a secret plan by the U.S. government to prepare us for uh, mutated and therefore misshapen children in the event of a nuclear catastrophe. Uh, actually, that was actually an, an urban legend about them. So, But enough about Cabbage Patch Kids. It's time to meet Mark Nixon. He's the author photographer of Much Love, a book that documents photographs of worn-out stuffed animals, and some of them are worn out indeed. Um, Mark Nixon, these are amazing photographs. It's sort of a shame that this is a radio show, because these really are amazing photographs. And on our website, we'll, we'll, we'll link to some of them. But um, there's, you know, there's this word numinous, you know, the word that suggests the presence of an almost, an almost divine or otherworldly presence. A lot of these stuffed animals, these old, frayed, tattered, careworn stuffed animals, they almost seem to have some kind of
4: living thing shining through them. Mm. Hi, Colin. Hi, Mark. And um, yeah, uh I agree. Yeah, when I when I started photographing them um I felt not with all of them but certainly with some of them they they had a presence, you know. While I was while I was shooting them, I felt there was there was something there, some communication going back and forward between us as as I photographed them. I'm I'm a portrait photographer, so I I photographed them in in the same kind of way I would I would photograph someone for a portrait. So it was a they definitely felt like there was a dialogue going back and forward sometimes, and there was one in particular, um and it, it, it was the only one that happened to. And I, it was it was kind of late one night. I was there in the studio alone, and um, I was I was photographing. It. I turned around, and <laughs> <laughs> it, it was the only one. It was the only one actually ever kind of scared me a bit. Some some other people have seen some of them, and they they they've, they think they're creepy or whatever. But um uh, the the people who own them love them very much but this one you wouldn't really you wouldn't really to look at it you wouldn't, you wouldn't there was nothing really scary about it but there was just something <laughs> um, that just a chill kind of ran through me and it was the only one that was kind of a bit creepy that one
3: uh, by the way, as we go along here, if you have a stuffed animal story, you need to get off your furry chest. It's 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. You may also tweet us. Uh, you can meet, you can tweet uh, Greg, our Tweetmaster, and uh, Mr. Scroopy, uh, his bunny rabbit, at WNPR, colon. as we're going along here. So, you know, one thing, as I read the little narratives, Mark, that accompany your photographs— One thing that occurred to me is that, you know, we use the word transitional object sometimes to talk about a stuffed animal, and it, it means a lot of different things. But I hadn't really thought about the fact that, in some ways, a stuffed animal is a transitional object that. That sleeps with you during the period of your life when really nobody's going to sleep with you, right I mean as you 're going to get older well, ideally you will find a mate uh, and you will sleep yeah. with that person but the one one consistent thread that ran through your narratives was people sleep with these right
4: yeah, yeah, and you know a lot of married married people it 's the i mean it 's funny there's uh, one of the one of the uh, bears in the book belongs to the wife of a, a well-known uh, radio presenter here um Tom Tom Dunn and uh, he he talks about it all the time on his radio show and said it's it's the third person in in their marriage the same way you know princess diana said that camilla was the third person in her marriage mm-hmm. this this uh, bear uh, george is the third person in, in his marriage and the, his wife has to sleep with it every night
3: well, uh, hopefully there aren't the kinds of conversations that were going on between uh, Camilla and Prince Charles. Uh, anyway, <laughs> the, um, so, so once, once you started this project, you photographed, uh, uh, I think, 60 bears initially in total and featured 20 to 30 of them. Uh, once they went up on your website, you started to get contacted by other people, right? Other people wanted mm-hmm. to be part of this. T- tell me more about that.
4: Yeah, um, well, I, I don't mean to correct you, but I, I photographed probably 140, okay. and there's about 65 in the book. Um, but uh, yeah, what I mean, it all. Well, I tell you how it started. From yeah, the beginning, go ahead. The no. That's, a, thing,
3: that's a good it, idea.
4: Yeah, it just it started just as a very simple idea. I have a a studio with a gallery space at the front, so occasionally I'll I'll put on an exhibition of something other than you know portraits. Um, so I I'd, I saw how close my own son Callum was with his Peter Rabbit, um, you know, how he'd squeezed it with delight when he was happy and he buried his nose in it while he was sucking his thumb and he just had to sleep with it every night. And it, something in that, just some vague memory of, of my own panda bear that I had as a child. And I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll bring it into the studio and photograph his Peter Rabbit as, as a portrait and see see what happens. So when I'd done that, uh, uh, I decided this would make a, a good exhibition for the studio. So I put the call out to my clients and uh, had a teddy day. Mm-hmm. So uh, and they all, there's about 40 come in that day and I, I thought it would be mostly children. Um, but it turned out, I'd say, over half were, were adults. And while I was photographing them, they were telling my receptionist these amazing stories or really funny tales about their teddy bear. So I got her to start writing them down. And uh, so that's that's how it started. And uh, I built I just photographed every now and again, you know, I'd photograph a few more. Finally, I had enough for the for the exhibition. And once once I had the opening, I put it online. And uh, it just went crazy. It went viral immediately. Um, within the first month, there was, I think, one and a half million hits and three months, four and a half million. And all these blogs and websites started picking it up all all over the world, you know, from China to Peru, mm-hmm. all over the States, um, all over Europe. It, it, was, it was crazy. Um, so just the very, you know, a few months later, just one day I was thinking, you know, I wonder with that, I wonder if I could make a book and that very day an email came in from uh, Abrams Books in New York and they said we've, we've all fallen in love with your project in the office and we'd, we'd love to turn it into a book. So that's that's how it came about.
3: The photographs are remarkable, and I uh, I, I heard that uh, some people contacted you and wanted uh, to have their their animals, their stuffed animals, photographed, but then realized that you don't make house calls and that their stuffed yeah. animals would have to be shipped, uh, uh, and, and they didn't like yeah. that idea, right?
4: No, exactly. I mean, I I st- every day I come in and I open up my emails, and there's more. There's more photographs of people's much loved bears and uh, originally, yeah, they I saw some really great ones that I would love to photograph, but because they're so close to them, the people, they, they won't part with them and they, they're not going to trust, you know, one of the, the carriers to deliver it and return it. But some people did. So I, I had some sent from Germany, Canada, the States, and uh, they, they appeared in the book as well. well of and course, they all got back safe. Of safe
3: course, how, how could you part with a, an animal if you need that animal to sleep uh, with you every night? Yeah. Let's hear uh, the story uh, also from our voicemail project of Doggy.
5: I have had the same favorite stuffed animal since I was one. I got him for my first birthday, And very creatively named him Doggy, because he's a stuffed dog. He used to be about three times bigger than me, and now he's easily ten times smaller than me. He's pretty much a tiny little matted ball of fur now, but I still sleep with him every night, and it's been 22 years. I've also taken him all over the world every time I go traveling. Now he's getting a little bit old to go traveling, but he's seen Europe. He has seen Asia. He has seen parts of Africa. Um, I even took him to summer camp and then promptly hid him under the bed when I was worried that my campers, as a counselor, would make fun of me. (laughs) So he's been all over the place. I really love him. I'm really attached. I secretly think he's alive. I've never had a real pet. It's just been me and this little stuffed dog. So someday, uh, when I have a real pet, maybe I'll change my mind. But for now, he seems like he's my best friend, and I really love him.
3: All right, Mark Nixon. So much there in that story, I'm sure. So much that you've already heard before. But um, yeah, many, many times, one, one of the things that's in there is, you know, she says, "I think he's just a kind of more kind of a matted ball of fur at this point." One thing that's clear from your book is that there's almost no such thing as a stuffed animal that's not viable anymore to somebody. There's a, a, a sort of Furless bear in your book that's missing one of its arms, and uh, yeah. yeah, tell us about that bear.
4: Oh, um, missing an arm. There's one missing a leg. Which one was missing an arm? Um,
3: I think it's the one that has belonged to two different
4: people, uh, two different brothers. Oh yeah, yeah. Is it on the back of the book as well? That I, one. The, uh,
3: not sure. But uh, and I, th- okay. I could be conflating bears here too. But I think it might also be the bear. I know that there was one bear that was named after Aloysius, who's the uh, famously yes. the bear that yeah. um, that Sebastian Flight, the character in Brideshead, revisited uh, Evelyn Waugh's uh, yeah. novel. As an adult, he actually carries around a teddy bear. It's either an affectation or more likely a sign of the huge
4: psychological damage that's been done to Sebastian. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's that. That's the one I was thinking of. Um, I, again, it's funny because I'm, I'm sitting here in, in Donnybrook in RTE studios. And this is where um, a radio presenter called Jerry Ryan worked for, worked from every day, Monday to Friday, three hours a day. And I listened to him for 22 years and he felt like he was part of my family, one of my friends. He lived just around the corner from my studio. I I'd, I'd see him pass in the window sometimes, but I never spoke to him. Uh and he died suddenly a few years ago and it was really it was really like a death in the family and it, it I still have that feeling and it's it wasn't just a a passing thing, but I mean the whole the whole country basically went in the mourning, but I I really felt a, a a strong um attachment to him. So I, I went in there's a place called the uh teddy bear hospital in Dublin where they repair teddy bears or destroy them, as I would say, because they they take away that <laughs> that great much loved look and they give it looks like a brand new bear. So the the woman was showing me all these uh the restorations that they'd done and I was horrified. They were they looked much better before she started. Uh but she told me about Jerry's teddy bear, uh which was called uh one eyed Ted uh stroke Aloysius. He he called it both and um again because because he lived around the corner i i thought well i'd i just go and ask ask his wife so i i i sent a letter i didn't want to intrude so i i sent a letter and um a couple of months went by and i i thought well they obviously don't want to to have anything to do with it. And all of a sudden she rang me and said, sorry, it was, it was in a pile of junk mail and she'd only just read it. And yeah, it'd be no problem. That's his uh, his daughter, Babette's had at it night. So so I'm trying to see it and it's, it's the cutest little thing, a tiny little thing, like you say, missing one arm. And uh, she had it in this little bed with another equally small teddy that was missing the, the other arm. So the two of them together kind of had one good arm each and the other little teddy ha- had a a t-shirt on it with with her dad on the t-shirt a photo of her dad you know that someone must have given her years ago so that's that's a very special one when i when i got that one i i kind of started taking the whole project seriously that one it's still it's still probably my favorite one you know,
3: as we started to think about uh, this show, and we have to give our uh, intern Katie Pike well, a lot of uh, credit for for uh, sort of tipping us off to this idea, and really uh, she conceived uh, of this idea. I started looking around and, and realizing that there's been something of a revolution in stuffed animals. I mean, just uh, here in America, because of companies like Vermont Teddy Bear and Build a Bear, they've really become kind of this high end product in some cases. And then even some of the traditionalists like Gund, you know, they now make uh, not just bears and groundhogs and things like that. They Make totoro you know Japanese anime characters and all kinds of things that that really don't actually have a correspondent out there in the animal world, but your book seems to be really more about these really primal kinds of bears, right they're not linked yeah. to a character in a movie uh they're not based on some sort of fanciful concept. they're a bear or a dog or a panda in your own personal case,
4: yeah. right yeah, yeah, um there were. There were a couple of kind of well, there was a there was a Pooh Bear and there was an E there was an Eeyore, mm. but um, because they the book company didn't want to deal with Disney, <laughs> <laughs> who seemingly have the rights to those. Although I don't know why, but there you go. Um, they were just you know they so they didn't go in the book, but uh, yeah, I was I, I'm amazed actually at the variety of bears and stuff toys there are out there you know after photographing so many of them um there was very few repeats you know they were all they're all different so um
3: uh, you know, I, I was watching a, a video f- about uh, the the German company Steif, uh, where yeah. uh, I think in two thousand eight they they made an interesting decision. They had outsourced uh, most of their factory work to China, and they realized that somehow mm. or other, you know, despite the fact that uh, Chinese factories can do work to order uh, pretty specifically, yeah. that they weren't get somehow or other, there's some quality that you, we associate with a Steif bear or with a certain kind of Western stuffed animal in general that they weren't getting, and they they actually had to make the decision uh, at considerable expense to shut down that operation, bring the whole thing back to Germany, because apparently only only there could the certain qualities that that show up, the, those hard to describe qualities, uh, be be actually brought to life, uh, so to speak, in, in yeah. a stuffed bear.
4: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the word primal as well, and I I definitely think that there is something very primal about it, and I think I think. It might be to do with the fact that, you know, the babies are, are given these things before speech, before they can talk. So this is all, you know, these are our very earliest memories and, and emotions, you know, and they're just so deeply buried within us that I think with some people that maybe there's, maybe there's some kind of imprinting going on <laughs> with them, you know, the, the way, you know, baby, baby ducks will follow around after a, you know, a human, think of it as its parent. There might be something like that going on as well with the very earliest All right, uh, memories.
3: Uh, let me, uh, I think imprinting, by the way, is exactly the right word, just like a baby duck. Let's uh, grab a call here from Cherry in Hamden. Hi, Cherry.
6: Hi. I have a comment and a question. <clears throat> my family, it actually started when we were given a squirrel many years ago because my husband really likes squirrels, a little stuffed squirrel. And then we were given more and more and more squirrels. And then when we traveled, we would pick them up as souvenirs and so on. Well, we started eventually making the voices so that these squirrels would start talking with each other and talking to us. And my son likes hippos, so hippos became part of this. And our whole family got involved in this. And mostly it's me and my son. My husband just mostly listens. But we still make the voices, and they still all talk to each other, and we put them to bed at night. And it's like we're kind of addicted to this almost, or we just enjoy it as – a fun entertaining activity i'm not quite sure but
3: and so your question is are you clinically is this insane
6: okay <laughs> do other people do this we, we recently took one squirrel along to germany on a trip and actually bought a little pair of later hose for him
3: <laughs> okay we're getting into a weird area now uh, Cherry. So, uh, you
6: know, my, some of my relatives think it's a bit wacko but i would like to know if other people do this and how they got started if they do and if it's You know, quite common?
3: I'm going to let Mark (laughs) answer this question, although the one thing I would say is I think it's basically okay so far. If the squirrels start talking (laughs) back to you,
6: then I think you've got a problem. They talk back to us. We we talk (laughs) with them. I make the voices. I must be a pretty good actress, I think, because I make all these voices for all these different creatures, and my son does as well. So, yeah, that does go on.
3: All right, Mark, uh, it's your turn. (laughs)
4: <laughs> well, um, yeah, you're not alone, Cherry. Oh, thank there, I God. Get, you, a relief. <laughs> well, that was, you know, that, that's that been the thing, that's been a theme really from the beginning is uh, people have told me that, you know, you just get this feeling that it's something that they they were kind of keeping as a secret, you know, that they were almost embarrassed to tell anybody about. And uh, all of a sudden with the book, they they're, they feel it's okay, they can talk about their they teddy love mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever. But um, no, people are really, really, really attached. There's, in fact, I, I brought in an email I got recently. And, and I, I just read you a bit of this because I think he, he sums it up really well. Um, it's from a guy in New York and unusual. I mean, a lot of, a lot of them, I have to say, are, are women, but there are some men. And maybe some men, they're just, you know, they don't want to admit to, to having it teddy bear or something like that but so it, it's mostly women but uh, this this is from a guy he said he's a working artist and he said it during his email he said it's easy to dismiss the connection an adult has with a teddy bear as mere nostalgia with warm childhood feelings. a retreat into a safer simpler time but to me these two bears have accumulated a resonance that spirals outwards beyond even my love for my family. They connect me with my parents and with my daughter and more than that they have somehow been imbued with depth of meaning for me. A meaning that I can't articulate but know is there and whenever we find meaning in the world that is a place to be treasured.
3: That's uh, it's a perfect description, imbued with a meaning you know, that almost can't be described. We're going to take a little break. I should tell you that uh, towards the end of the show, and this is something we have on, we had to pre-record because of the time difference, but, um, you know, and this may reassure Cherry, too. Um, I, I love Japan, and I love uh, Japanese people, but w- if you take something like this, and you think you've got kind of a crazy uh, take on it, they'll always go you one better. So we did a talk at the end of the show. You'll hear a conversation with a, a travel agent who arranges trips for stuffed animals. The owners do not go on the trips, only the stuffed animals, the owners get a photograph. So anyway, but we've got a lot of ground to cover before that. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with more of Mark Nixon uh, and another guest besides.
0: have Benny, my childhood teddy bear, and I think he has survived for about 50 years because he's stiff and hard, not soft and cuddly. And uh, he also has a sound mechanism inside that sounds like this. Somewhere around the late 1960s, in the middle of the night on my family's annual train trip from New York City to Chicago visiting my grandparents, I was trying to sleep and kept dropping Benny, picking him up, falling asleep, dropping him, and so on, triggering the sound mechanism. I was told that people started alerting the conductor the fact that they thought a goat or sheep was on the train, and the conductor said it was a mystery for a pretty long time, but he eventually saw me with the flashlight, heard the sound, and solved the mystery. I don't sleep with Benny anymore, but he sits in my art studio and works to a lot of NPR with me while I work. And, uh, he really likes the Colin McEnroe show and car talk.
3: Mm-hmm. Why a bear makes that noise is a whole separate question. Also, I'd just like to point out uh, to the owner of Benny that we checked our records, and Benny has not participated in any of our WNPR pledge drives. Uh, so it's time for Benny to get that credit card out, uh, assuming he has one. All right, Mark Nixon is with us. He's the author-photographer of Much Love, a book that documents photographs of worn-out stuffed animals. Uh, and he's become something of a stuffed animal scholar uh, in the process. In just a second, you'll also meet uh, the founder of a project that gets uh, stuffed animals to uh, – children who are, are victims of traumatic events. Mark Nixon, one thing that, one of your quests, as I understand it, in, in uh, pulling the book together, was to get uh, a stuffed animal belonging to Bono. Very quickly, uh, tell us that story.
4: Okay. Um, I When I first decided to do the exhibition, I thought, if I, if I can get Bono's bear, if I can get his, I can get anybody's because then I can go and say, well, Bono's taking part, you know. <laughs> so... Uh, I, Dublin, as you know, is, is a small town And, uh, you know, eventually you're going to bump into Bono somewhere Sometime uh, But about a year and a half went past And I still hadn't bumped into him So uh, I was photographing a friend of his who's an, an artist I was having a, a new exhibition And he invited me along to the, the launch And I thought Bono might be there And sure enough, he was So I went over with my iPhone And I said, Bono, hi, uh, you know this, I showed him the iPhone. This is what I'm doing, and I'd love to to photograph your your bear if you, if you have one. And he said, I used to have one, but I shot it through the heart when I was a kid. And uh, I I thought, uh, you know, I'd always thought, well, he might not have one, or he might have lost it or given it away. Um, so I was a bit deflated, and uh, I I saw his wife in the corner, Ali. So I thought, well, I'll ask, I'll ask Ali, and she said, Oh yeah, I still still have my one in my mom's house and I have the girls, I have Jordan's and Eve's and I'm thinking, oh, this is good. yeah, I'll get, get something like that. And then she goes, oh, yeah. And we have this little one, little small one, it's missing an ear and it belonged to a friend of ours who who died. And I said, that's the one I want. So it turns out it belonged to a friend of theirs, uh, Greg Carroll, who um, you two wrote. Um, one tree hill on the Joshua tree they wrote about Greg who was tragically killed in a, a motorbike accident in in, in Ireland and uh, at his funeral in uh, he was a Maori uh, in New Zealand uh, one of his friends give Bono and Ali this little bear that was his so uh, I walked away from the exhibition and I suddenly went oh Bono does have a bear mm. and so uh, it's in the book Pride of Place.
3: You know, uh, by the way, as we won't be able to cover everything today, any audio from the voicemail project we don't use, plus photographs of the WNPR staff with their stuffed animals. It'll all be on WNPR.org a little bit later today along with this show and everything. Anything else we can think of. Um, Mark Nixon is with us. Um, we're also, we are also have another guest. You know, stuffed animals are, are kind of funny at times, kind of eccentric at times. Uh, in some ways, though, they are serious business. Um, it's become uh, um, a routine practice uh, to give a stuffed animal to a child uh, coming out of a traumatic event, say a house that burns down or something like that. Uh, Catherine uh, Pizzakani is the founder and executive director of Project Smile, a nonprofit dedicated to helping children who are victims of traumatic events. Welcome to our show, Catherine.
7: Thank you for having me.
3: And I hope I did not um, mangle your name too badly.
7: No, you did great.
3: All right. So um, tell us, uh, how, big, how big a project is this now? How many uh, stuffed animals and stuffed toys are you collecting from people these days?
7: Uh, we've collected um, over 34,000 um, stuffed animals, and we're celebrating our 11th anniversary this fall.
3: And I understand that part of the inspiration for this was a story uh, in 2003 uh, about four brothers who were, were held basically in captivity by their parents. Uh, I'll let you pick up that story.
7: Yeah, there was uh, no, there was a um, very um, well-known story that happened um, October 2003, and it was four brothers from New Jersey um, who were starved by their adoptive parents, and it made, um, event- eventually it made national headlines. Um, When I first read the article, it was only on the cover of the New York Post at the time, but the photo was horrendous. One of the boys was 14 years old and weighed 40 pounds, and they had just been horrifically abused. And I um, bought the newspaper to read the story, and in the article it was saying that one of the brothers was given um, a little stuffed animal by one of the police officers when the police arrived on the scene to take the children away. And the article said that the little boy clung to the stuffed animal and he wouldn't let it go and it really comforted him. And so that was where I was inspired to um, start a collection of stuffed animals up in Massachusetts where I live and work uh, in order for police to give to children um, that are in maybe not quite as extreme situations, but all the other range of traumatic events that happen to kids, unfortunately, on a daily basis.
3: And is this something that emergency responders just kind of know about now? I mean, do you have to spend any time acquainting emergency responders, police, or EMTs with the notion that this really is something that's that's in, just innately helpful?
7: Um, it depends on, on the department. Right now, we work with, um, over the 11 years, we've partnered with 191 police and fire departments, a majority of which are in New England, but we donate to um, other departments across the country as well. Um, so no, we don't necessarily have to spend a lot of time. Like I think most um, emergency responders understand why a stuffed animal is so important and how it benefits children. Uh, we, we do spend some time just kind of, you know, updating the departments about what our efforts are and there's no charge to them and just kind of reminding them if I was a stuffed animal um, does make such a difference for a child.
3: Um, and one thing that's going to pop into the minds of some listeners uh, who are, are with us right now is, is how to donate to you. So uh, explain what people do if they hear this story and it makes complete sense to them. Uh, how do they get to Project Smile?
7: Yeah, it's, just, it's very easy. I go on our website, um, projectsmile.org. You have to go to .org. If you go to projectsmile.com, it's something completely different. But go to projectsmile.org, and they can read all about Project Smile. And if they go on the Help Us page, they can um, find out ways to volunteer, get involved in upcoming events, to um, send donations to stuffed animals, um, make financial donations online, join our whips, our email news, there's tons of ways to um, get involved.
3: You know, it's an odd thing uh, that you're doing, because I'm assuming that that ninety seven percent of the time you just never know where this stuffed animal, any given of the thirty four thousand stuffed animals, where they wind up, how they get used, who they help, what kind of effect they have, do you ever sort of hear back like, "Oh yes, my child was in situation X, and that stuffed animal got into her hands do you ever hear get to hear some story like that
7: yeah, I do um, i don 't get to hear too many of the stories, um, and I always yeah you always do kind of wonder where they are going to go and you know, which children are going to get, end up with the stuffed animals. But, yeah, I've been fortunate that I do get to hear um, a couple of the stories. Um, we got an email. Uh, we've had a couple of emails, actually, from mothers whose um, children receive stuffed animals um, for Project Smile, and also we also give out coloring books and books um, and crayons as well. And there was one mom whose email always stood out because she and her husband and their 8-year-old daughter were involved in a car accident. They were rear-ended um, on a highway off-ramp, and the um, state police came, and they gave the child a stuffed animal. The fire department came, and they gave her a little coloring book and crayons. And she went on our website, and she took the time to send me an email to let me know that what a difference it made for her daughter. She said the little girl was crying, and she was really upset when the accident first happened. and Thankfully, nobody was seriously injured, but it was still a pretty scary thing to be in a car accident, especially for a child. And she's like, you know, I just wanted to let you know that it made such a difference to my daughter to get that stuffed animal.
3: Um. This uh, Mark Nixon. This could be no surprise to you, right? That that one of the the roles that these animals play, these stuffed animals play, a, a sort of an immediate healer of trauma. Mm,
4: um. Yeah. Uh, I. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know what to say to that call. Um,
3: well, actually, while you're thinking what what you do want to say, uh, and it's rare for an Irishman not to know what he wants to say <laughs> right away, but uh, let me let me grab a call from Aaron, who actually also has something kind of that's right on point here. Hi, Aaron. Hi.
2: How
8: are you doing?
3: Just fine. You're on the air. Go ahead. Fire away. Oh, very cool. Yeah,
8: yeah so I called in to uh, share a little bit about a project I've been working on for the past five years, basically, to create interactive teddy bears for children who are newly diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Um and so it all started actually from going into the homes of families and observing that when these children were newly diagnosed, they actually started taking care of their stuffed animals as if they had diabetes. Mm-hmm. So they would prick the fingers of their teddy bears, you know, they would draw little insulin pumps and pieces of paper and pretend that they actually had diabetes. And so we asked ourselves whether we could bring that experience to life and do it in a way that was educational. And so we created something called Jerry the Bear, which is basically uh, a teddy bear with sensors throughout his body that kids take care of almost like a diabetic Tamagotchi. Um, so, we actually shipped out the first run of these bears last Christmas, and we surprised uh, 2% of all kids who were diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, which was incredibly exciting for us. And so, we're about seven months out from that point, and now we see that kids are still playing with their bears for over an hour a week. They're learning with them, they're learning how to count carbs, get over their fear of insulin injections, and ultimately be empowered to master their own illness.
3: Well, you know, this, you know, Mark Nixon, uh, this sort of goes back to one of the thoughts that I was having about uh, stuffed animals, even looking uh, at your book, Much Loved, which is that, you know, these stuffed animals, they are uh, at times, to quote uh, a poem you wrote, silent witnesses, constant companions, defenders of innocence. But also sometimes they're us, right? They're surrogate versions of us when 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 we take care of the stuffed animal, we're kind of in the way that Aaron just described. Sometimes we're just kind of taking care of ourselves in a way that we we can't really lavish that care directly on to us.
4: Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, I I I personally just remember those scary moments at night. You know, when when there was loud noises going on, or you were just scared of the dark. That's. That you could just hug the hug your your teddy bear and it it felt like it was protecting you you know so I I I, I don't know that's that's re- it's it's quite hard to put into words because they are these primal emotions that just seem to kick in and um, some people really get it and other people don't
3: yeah I, th- I think that's exactly right so but I think children almost always get it you know as we get older uh our relationship with a stuffed animal may be problematic, but when we're uh, we're children yeah. we uh we know exactly what they're for and and why they're sent to us um this this yeah. thing this project that you 've done it's it's uh so big, so sprawling, and it's got uh so many new components. Is there going to be a sequel
4: is there going to be much loved too at least in, in book form um i well I hope so i I would like to do a kind of celebrity or famous people's version if you like um, so I was in London, I shot the first one of those on Monday of this mm. week I went to London and I photographed uh, the designer uh, Jean-Paul Gaultier's teddy mm. called uh, Nana which is part of a, he has an exhibition on in the Barbican Centre in London at the minute of all his uh, fashion and uh, Nana is part of the exhibition because as a child he he put uh lipstick and conical breasts on his teddy and uh these eventually ended up on Madonna's outfit that I was <laughs> that I, I, you you. Know, I was wondering You're if the, if
3: Madonna was going to c- c- surface in this story I was Almost kind of hoping not. Hey, Mark Nixon, we really have to go, unfortunately, so that we can squeeze in our one little trip to Japan here. It's been so great to talk to you. Uh, If people did. And and we will have all the other um, voicemail project audio uh, stories of Brownie and Norman and Benny at WNPR.org. Check us there and email me at Colin, C O L I N, at WNPR.org if we didn't get your story on the air today. You got a friend in me.
2: Okay, this is weird, but Greg wants me to feed these little toy carrots to Mr. Scroopy, a stuffed bunny. Here you go, Mr. Scroopy. Ow, ow, ow! He's biting me! Let go! Let go! You vicious little... Today's show was produced by Katie Pikus, Betsy Kaplan, and me. Our other intern today is Josh Nalea. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Bill Curry was played by Chucky. For show pages, articles, and Faith Middleton Show staff recipes for cooking stuffed animals, visit our website, wnpr.org. On tomorrow's show, Jacques Lamar, James Hanley, and Doobie McDowell will be on the nose. And now, back to Colin.
3: So maybe you have a stuffed animal or a stuffed toy that sits on your bed all day while you go to work. That animal, that stuffed toy could use a change of scene, could use a little variety in its life. There is a way of addressing that, Uh, and it comes in the form of Sonoe Azuma, founder and CEO of Unagi Travel. She lives in Japan. She operates the travel service in Japan. The travel service is for stuffed toys. Sonoe Azuma, welcome to our show.
9: Thank you very much for having me.
3: So this all began with your own stuffed toy, right? Your own stuffed eel and unagi.
9: Yes, that's right. It happened seven years ago. I created a stuffed eel for myself and started to take photos and blog about it. My friends started to say, hey, I'm going on a business trip and I'll take your stuffed eel with me. So the stuffed eel started to travel around the world and I started to receive photos such as Of deal in front of Empire State Building or (laughs) visiting Paris. I thought it was just simply fun and people who cannot physically travel would appreciate this kind of service, so I started a business.
3: So this is a travel agency in which people give you their stuffed animals to take on trips. So tell us about some of your clients. Who are your customers? Give us some specific examples of clients.
9: My clients are people who cannot physically travel, such as people who are in wheelchairs or children who are facing difficulties, or people who are from a low-income family, or people who are just simply having fun with stuffed animals. Some come just to learn about Japan. My non-Japanese customers, some are like, interested in anime and Japanese culture, and they want to know more about Japan through their stuffed animals.
3: I think I saw a photo of an eagle from New Mexico from an elementary school in New Mexico. Yeah. Can you tell me about that?
9: It was last December, a school teacher emailed me and said she wanted to have a stuffed eagle travel on behalf of her third grade class. And she said the public school is located in a low-income families region, and most of the children don't have an opportunity to travel around. So she wanted to have that eagle to travel to Japan and to see the world and to inspire their third grade class. She didn't have the money to have the eagle to come to Japan. And uh, I said, take your time and maybe if you have the chance to fundraise, I'll wait for a month or so. One day, a lady based in Boston emailed me and said she wants to offer a donation, $100 for stuffed animals who don't have enough money. So I offered that donation to school. So the eagle was happily able to travel to Japan.
3: So I'm trying to picture what your life is like and what your travels are like. I'm assuming that you're on a train with, Mm -hmm. what, five or six stuffed animals?
9: Yes, that's right.
3: People who have stuffed animals are often very, very protective of those stuffed animals. I mean, if it's a special stuffed animal or stuffed toy, they probably want it treated a certain way. Do you have to promise them certain things about how the stuffed animal is going to live and how it's going to be treated while you have it?
9: Yes, I tell them that I will only bring like five to six stuffed animals on a tour so that I can treat them in a way that they would treat their stuffed animals. I don't put the stuffed animals directly on the ground. I put a towel and then I'll try not to make it dirty. And I also take photos almost every single day of every stuffed animals and post it on Facebook and Twitter so that the owners can see that their stuffed animals are treated well.
3: Do you ever get a stuffed animal who has been loved and owned so much that he's starting to fall apart? I mean, that actually does happen to stuffed animals that people keep for years and years. Do you have those that are very fragile that you have to be extra careful with?
9: There was one stuffed animal whose owner was over 70 years old. So the owner had the stuffed animals for a very long time, more than 60 years. I tried to take care of the stuffed animals carefully, but it didn't fall apart. So it was okay. So, so far, nothing happened to the stuffed animals, but I tried to take good care of them.
3: When we talk about stuffed animals, there's your eel, there's the eagle. I'm assuming there are some bears. But are there all kinds of animals? What are the most unusual stuffed animals that you've traveled with?
9: It wasn't actually an animal. It was an American football player, Peyton Manning. That doll came, so that was the most unusual stuffed doll that came to Tokyo.
3: And where did you take Peyton Manning?
9: I took Peyton Manning to a Tokyo tour, so we visited like the famous shrines and also went up to Tokyo Tower.
3: You know, this all sounds kind of funny, but it's also Mm -hmm. very serious. There are people, as you say, who are physically challenged, who can't travel. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine there are some people who are psychologically challenged, people who are afraid to travel but can do it through a stuffed animal. Am I right?
9: Some of my clients have some psychological issues, and some cannot go outside their homes. They just stay inside and don't have many friends, or they can't go out to work but they can send their stuffed animals and travel through the stuffed animals.
3: Does that sometimes also make a difference in their lives? I mean, maybe if the stuffed animal can go out and go some places, the person who feels psychologically trapped could feel Mm -hmm. a little bit more courageous about going out.
9: One of my clients who was in her late 20s, had a problem she couldn't go to work and she was just trapped in her house and she wasn't able to communicate with her friends and she was afraid to check friends Facebook pages because she was just jealous about their lives and she was not confident in herself But one day she sent her small bear to Tokyo and she saw the bear communicating with other stuffed animals and she thought that she could also meet with people and start communicating. So after the trip, she was able to go back to work and she was really thankful for the tour that I provided for her.
3: We're talking to Sanoe Azuma of Unagi Travel. She's the founder and CEO. So the way this has worked so far is that people Mm -hmm. send you their stuffed animals, and those stuffed animals travel around Japan. You speak very good English. I'm imagining that you might be thinking at some point of taking some stuffed animals from Japan to perhaps the United States.
9: Yes. Many of my Japanese clients are hoping that I would start doing tours such as New York tour or to San Francisco and to other cities in the United States. But so far, I haven't been able to do those tours because, of course, it would take more money and more time to travel around. So I am currently thinking several ways to do tours to U.S. One is a partnership with people who are based in the United States Mm -hmm. and who are able to travel and to take around the stuffed animals or to get sponsors from the government or companies.
3: When you travel in Japan with five or six stuffed animals on a train, Mm -hmm. do people Mm -hmm. ever give you peculiar looks? Do people ever look at you and say, why is this woman on the train? She's a grown-up woman. What is she doing with six stuffed animals?
9: (laughs) Yes. I get those kind of looks, but thanks to a Japanese TV and a Japanese newspaper, Unagi Travel has been pretty much known to the domestic market, so people will come to me and say, keep up the good work. So right now, I don't have any issues, but when I started it, people did give me those kind of looks, and sometimes I get questioned by police officers. <laughs>
3: When I was in Japan, one thing that a lot of people liked to do was to go to Mm -hmm. hot springs. Japan has these wonderful hot springs. Is that something that the stuffed animals want to do?
9: Yes, that's right. I have an onsen tour. Onsen means hot spring in Japanese, and I take the stuffed animals to hot spring, and I don't soak them in the water, but I try to take the photo as if the stuffed animals are enjoying the hot spring.
3: That sounds wonderful. How much, roughly, how much does it cost to have your animal, say, go on a little trip in Japan, maybe go to a hot spring? How much would you charge me for that?
9: Roughly about 50 U.S. dollars. Mm,
3: That seems very reasonable. All right, well, Sonoe Azuma, it has been so much fun to talk to you, and it sounds like a wonderful thing you're doing. And it is funny, but it's also very serious, very important to people who can't make that trip, but their stuffed animals can. Thank you so much. Arigato.